opportunity to come over and to break the bread of life and to share five great overflow revival eye-opening experience with this church tonight and for the next several nights. Secondly, I want to say tonight, for those of you that don't know me, not that it really amounts to a hill of beans, but I am Pastor John Skipworth, and uh, I am the lead pastor of one of the greatest flagship Assembly of God churches in the upper Midwest, Rochester Assembly of God. We um, are a hundred-year-old spirit-filled Assembly of God church in Rochester, Minnesota, which is the medical destination of the world. It is home to the Mayo Clinic. And this picture that you're seeing on the screens is a picture of my better half, my wife now, 10 years, Brooke. And uh, the daughter under my arm is my oldest daughter, Finley. The middle daughter, who's actually bigger now, is Fisher. And then my little boy up there in my arm, that is Foster Riggs. And so Finley's six, Fisher's four, and uh, Foster is two years old. And our church is doing extremely well with God's help, rebuilding, restructuring, growing. We had 2,300 people this year for Easter. Had 300-plus people saved and water baptized, walk the aisle, make a decision for Jesus. Launched over 700 people in attendance for life groups this past Wednesday and Thursday night. So God is really blessing our church and doing some amazing things there. And we're just so, so excited about what God is doing here. Also equally excited just to play a small part in that, to be able to come for a few days under Lent authority to stand in this sacred desk, this pulpit, and to preach the Word of God tonight. Listen, I really do not need notes for what I'm about to share tonight, honestly. Tonight could get a little dangerous. I uh, have a habit sometimes when I'm rested up and I drink about a quarter of a Red Bull to be a little more than I can handle my own self. And I want to tell you, I'm rested up, and I did drink a quarter of about a Red Bull. So I might be a little too dangerous tonight, even for me. But if you have a Bible with you tonight, you're going to need that because I am a Bible preacher. I believe in preaching the Bible. I believe that this ancient text is not irrelevant. It is most relevant. And I also believe in preaching large blocks of Scripture and then taking those large blocks of Scripture being a student of the Bible that loves context, loves customs, loves manners, loves the history, and help you get into the text and help the Bible come to life. And then from that, at some point in there, to do a few takeaways, a few nuggets tonight, a few points. So has everybody got your listening ears on? Check. Everybody got your thinking caps on? Check. You got a Bible tonight. Take it out or turn it on or slide next to somebody that has one. As long as he's not somebody else's husband and she's not somebody else's wife. 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to read tonight, beginning at verse 8. The title of this message tonight is An Eye-Opening Experience, An Eye-Opening Experience. My friend, Mr. St. James, would you happen to know that song that says, It May Look Like I'm Surrounded? You get, I'm going to need you, when we get ready tonight, I'm going to need you to be ready for that, and we're just going to go. We're just going to take off, okay? All right, so 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, it says this. Now the king of Syria, say that, king of Syria, was making war against Israel. And say Israel or Israel. And he consulted with his servants. This is the king of Syria, consulted with his servants, saying, listen, my camp will be in such and in such place. And the man of God, who at this point is nameless, would then turn and say to the king of Israel, 
Beware that you, the king of Israel, do not go down and pass in this place, for the Syrians are coming down to there. Then the king of Israel sent someone down to the very place which the nameless man of God had told him and thus warned him about, and he was watchful there. And this happened not just once or twice. Not just once or twice. Now, I need you to say that with me, my friend. Not just once or twice. Now, I'm going to get us all together because I believe in unison, all right? Not just once or twice. Now, you got it? You ready? One, two, three. I've got to get it in your spirit. All right, so we're dealing with the king of Syria, and we're dealing with the king of Israel, and now we're dealing with a man of God who's been named twice, but he's nameless. And what the story is recounting is that the king of Syria is coming down, and he's setting up shop or camp, and a man of God, nameless, would say to the king of Israel, don't go down to such and such place. And when the king would send his servants to check it out, he would be right. And this would happen. It would happen. All right. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And one day he called all of his servants together, his military generals, and he said, will you not show me which one of you is for the king of Israel? And one of his very brave servants stepped up and said, none, my Lord, but it is Elisha, the nameless prophet who is going without name in the camps of Israel is now being named in the camps of the enemies. Isn't that amazing? It's going to be very important. I'm going to show you why in a minute. It is none of your servants, O king, king of Syria. It is Elijah, the prophet who is also in the land of Israel. Listen to this. He tells the very king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send him and get him. And it was told to him, surely he is in Dothan. I want you to say that. Surely he is. Surely he is in. Does anyone know where that's at? Alabama. <laughs> Actually, this is in Israel, but there is a Dothan in Alabama. So number one, you've said two phrases to me. Number one, he's not just once or twice. And now we've said, surely he is in Dothan. All right, it's going to be important. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came down by night, and they surrounded by the city. Now, here's what I want to know. If he was telling the king what you're saying in your bedchamber, what good was the cover of night? <laughs> Can I give you a nugget? There is no darkness to conceal what Rama can reveal. There is no darkness to conceal what the very Spirit of God can reveal. All of us that think we're slipping around, Listen, the psalmist said that darkness as is the light to you. God can see just as good at night as he can in the daylight. And he don't even have infrared. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And look, they came down by night and they did what? They surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose up early in the morning and went out, there was an army surrounding the city. Look at this phrase full of horses and chariots. I'm going to wrestle this guy for time. I know I did. And his servant said to him, 
Alas, master, what shall we do? So he answered and he said, number one, do not be afraid. For those that are with us are more than they are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray that you will open his eyes that he may see. Lord, I pray that this boy will have an eye-opening experience. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, Behold, the mountains were full of horses. They were full of chariots, but there was something different about these horses, something different about these chariots. All of these horses and all of these chariots, they were glistening. They were, they were burning with flames. They were on fire. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, now I pray that you strike these men with blindness. Lord, I pray that you would now close some eyes as you've opened some eyes. And the Lord answered Elijah, and he struck the Syrian army, according to the word of Elisha, with blindness. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. If I had time to work with that. In other words, Elisha is saying, your beef ain't with me because I'm not really on your side and I'm not even really on the king of Israel's side. I am on the God of heaven's side and your beef as the king of Syria is really with the king of Israel and this is not the place or the city where he's at. Let me take you to the place where he's at and watch what he does. So it was when they had come to Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, Open the eyes of these men that they may see. Now God opened their eyes. And the Lord opened his eyes and they saw. And there they were all inside the capital city of Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, my father, my father, what shall I do? I got my enemies right here in my own living room. What do I do? Kill them now? And he answered and said, no, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? In other words, he's saying, if you would have taken these men's prisoner, would you kill them? No. And he says, the Lord's brought them right here into your living room. No, you're not going to kill them. Now watch this. Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go away back to their master. So then the king of Israel prepared a great feast for them, and they all ate and drank, and he sent them away. And they went their way to their master. Listen to this last one. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Say that. And the raiders came no more. And the raiders came no more. Tonight, I've already told you that I want to talk for the next several minutes around the subject matter of an eye-opening experience. But before I get into exactly what I have for the church tonight, I want you to understand a little bit of context, a little bit of history about this passage tonight. This king of Israel needs to be explained. His name and his origins are very unusual. His name is actually... Joram. Has anybody ever heard of King Joram? Does anyone in here know who Joram actually is? Does anyone know where King Joram came from? Let me just tell you. Joram is the brother to King Ahaziah. King Ahaziah is the king of Israel that fell through the lattice. And when he fell through the lattice and he became very ill, he began to consult the Baal gods. 
And when he began to consult the Baal gods, which is short for Beelzebub, the prince of devils, they were Satan worshipers. When he began to consult as the king of Israel, the devil, the Baal gods, about would he heal and would he recover, God spoke to Elijah and said, go up and rebuke King Ahaziah and tell him if he would have sought Jehovah, he could have been healed. But since he sought the Baal gods, he's going to never get up off of his deathbed. He's going to die there. Does anyone know what happened with King Ahaziah? Exactly what God said. He never recovered. He never got healed, and he died on his deathbed. Ahaziah never had any children. So Ahaziah's kingdom and rule passed to the next brother born of the king, and his name was Joram. This is the king that's now coming into power, King Joram. King Joram's heritage, are you ready for this? About to get really good. Is that actually he's not only the brother to Ahaziah, he's the son of Ahab, the most famous king in all of the Bible. King Ahab, at the end of 1 Kings, goes out with Jehoshaphat and picks a war with the king of Aram, say Ben-Hadad won. Say Ben-Hadad won. Aram is Syria. Do you know who lives in Syria today? ISIS. You got me now? The country to the northernmost border of Israel, still on the northernmost border of Israel, the city, you can go to Dan, you can stand in the north country of Dan, and you can see over in to Syria, and you can see Damascus, Syria. You can see it from the heights, from the mountain. You can see it. So King Joram is fighting the enemies that are coming out of the north, coming down out of Syria. But Joram's heritage is he hasn't always been king. He actually is the brother to the king that died because he wouldn't seek God because he was worshiping the devil. And what I'm really trying to get you to see is the reason his brother was worshiping the Baal gods is because his brother and Joram are the sons of Ahab. Ahab is the direct descendant of the sins of Nabat, who set up a false kingdom in the mountains of Ephraim, Syria, appointed priests from every race and class of men, set up false altars, he set up golden calves, and he started worshiping what was called Jehovah in the high places until this little old lady came along by the name of Queen Jezebel. And Jezebel started running off all the worshipers of God. She started converting the nation, killing the prophets of God, and turning the nation to the Baal gods, the worship of the devil. And finally, at the end of First King, when all of a sudden the then king Ahab goes out with Jehoshaphat to fight Ben-Hadad one, he gets killed by chance of a drawn arrow, hits him between the armor, and he dies in a chariot. And there at the bath where the prostitutes washed at, as was prophesied by the man of God, his blood leaks out on the ground and the dogs lick it up. You say, Pastor, why are you telling us all this? Why is this important? It's important to understand this backstory so you'll understand this passage because I need you to know what's going on in Israel to get the real meat out of this. The nation of Israel is backslidden. The nation of Israel has nothing to do with Jehovah God. We are now three kings into a dynasty that worships the exact opposite from Jehovah God. Not only have they killed the prophets of God, not only have they desecrated the the pure worship of God, now they've resulted to worshiping the Asteropos, the gods of heaven, even the devil gods. And all of a sudden, you ready for this? This king is starting to get Ramah from a prophet. You stay with me. But I need you to understand the king of Syria. The king of Syria is not now Ben-Hadad I, it's Ben-Hadad II. 
This is the son of King Ben-Hadad. And do you want to know what the Syrians, the Arams, have been doing now for years? Aram has been coming down into Israel and raiding the little villages. And when they're raiding the little villages, they're killing the men. They're taking the little girls, bringing them back, make them servants, make them concubines. I'm going to back that up in a minute, show it to you in the Bible. And then they would go back to Syria, and they would keep expanding the Syrians' border down into the ten northern tribes called Israel, taking ground from Israel. What are you saying to me, Pastor John? I'm saying that Israel is now defrocked from the royal bloodline of David. Two tribes stayed in Jerusalem, Judah and Benjamin. Ten tribes split under Rehoboam and Jeroboam when the kingdom split ten and two and the ten northern tribes that became known as the nation of Israel are now so far away from Jehovah God they don't know up from down right from wrong left from right the entire nation is backslidden and in their backslidden state now all of a sudden they're starting to get words from a prophet of God trying to tell them about the enemy's destruction and the king really won't even listen to them now check this out let me show you a little bit more because I'm going to get ahead of myself here Elijah the prophet is actually living in, Elisha the prophet is living, Elijah the prophet is living, but the king of Israel is living in the mountains of Ephraim, Samaria. If the prophet of God was revered as the prophet of God, the mouthpiece of God, the spokesman of God, don't you think every other king in the Bible, where did David keep Nathan? Where did Solomon keep all the Ahithophel? Where did all of the kings keep all the spokesmen of God in the city with him? But what I want you to see is Dothan is a little place, an obscure place, an impoverished village that is on the outskirts of Israel. It's in nothingness. It's in obscurity. And Nathan, I mean, and uh, Elijah the prophet is living out there in obscurity and in poverty. He's not revered in the nation as a man of God. He's not revered in the nation as the mouthpiece of God. And really, Joram is so far away from Jehovah, he could care less about what Elisha is saying. Did you know that? Can I tell you what Dothan means? The place of two wells. The place of two wells. And do you want to know what those two wells are traditionally known as? The laws and the customs. The laws and the customs. And during the greatest spiritual drought the nation of Israel ever saw that eventually led to its captivity. When the nation of Israel fell, the prophet of God stayed alive. He stayed spiritually alive and physically alive because he hovered around two wells. There was a spiritual drought going on, but he was drawing water from a spiritual system called the laws and the customs of God. When the entire nation was being drawn away, this prophet who lived in poverty and obscurity was feeding off of two wells of his own spiritual relationship with God. Did you know that? Now watch this. Let me show you a little bit more here in the Bible tonight. Elisha is living out in obscurity, and you say, oh, well, back that up. Okay, I'm so glad you asked. How many of you remember Naaman who was cured of leprosy? How many of you remember Naaman who was cured of leprosy? It is also told by Jesus that was there not, you ready for this? Were there not Israelites living in the land of Israel with leprosy that could have also been cured in that day? Remember Jesus said that? He said, but why then was only Naaman the leper, the Syrian cured? He said, because nobody else in Israel was close to Jehovah. The whole nation was backslidden. And Naaman the Syrian came out of Syria to come down to be healed by Elijah. Now watch this. This is so good. I love when the Bible backs its own self up. So Naaman, who is a general for Ben-Hadad, has a little bitty girl that he's taken captive, go read it, in 2 Kings, from Israel in the raiding bands, 
probably a slave girl, a 14-year-old concubine that he was sleeping with, and she looks at his wife one day and says, is Naaman coming down with leprosy? And the wife probably said something like, you shut your mouth. What are you worried about it for? It's none of your business. She says, let me tell you something. The king of Israel don't want nothing to do with him, but there's a prophet living in Dothan. And if he'll go down there to him in obscurity and in poverty, Naaman can be healed of his leprosy. Now, where do you see Naaman ride up with the horses and all the camels and all of the luggage and all of the gold and the silver and the clothing? They go and they find Elijah living in Dothan in a little bitty tent, run down village in obscurity and poverty with a servant. And all of a sudden he says, tell him to come out here. I want to be cured. And he says, I ain't got to come out there. Tell him to go dip in the river. And the, and the Syrian gets mad and says, this is foolishness, and rides off. And finally, the commander gets rebuked by one of his own generals and says, well, if he'd have come out and told you to stand on one leg, bark like a dog, would you have done it? And he said, yeah. He said, well, why will you not go dip in the river? And Naaman went down to the Jordan and dipped in the river, and he came up, and the leprosy was gone, and his skin was as clean as a baby's. You want to know where, where Elisha was? He was living in Dothan. I'm trying to show you that the nation is backslidden. I'm trying to show you that the nation is away from God. This is going to be really, really important. I ain't dropped it off on your doorstep yet. And the prophet of God, the one guy that's really connected to God, the guy that's got the word of God in his mouth, is nowhere around the tomb. He's living in a little old rundown village that both Jesus backs up and the scriptures back up, that he's in obscurity and he's in poverty. What are you trying to show me, Pastor John? I'm trying to show you there was a total disregard for the preacher. There was a total disregard for the prophet. There was a total disregard for the house of God. There was a total disregard for the word of God. They could care nothing about. Now, you ready for this? I'm about to wrap up. Number one, put this on the screen. Put this on the screen. He is not a once or twice God. He is not a once or twice God. Now, the immediate parallel that I have to make in this place tonight, RCB, is that many of us think that we broker deals with God. We think when we say to God, how many of you have ever said, well, God, if you get me out of this one, well, God, if you'll fix this ticket, well, God, if you'll bring her back this time, well, God, if he'll come back this time, well, God, if you won't let me get thrown away this time, well, God, if you'll get me off the needle this time, well, God, if you'll get me off the porn this time, I won't ever do it again. And then all of a sudden, how many of us, we don't get in church, we don't get full of the word of God, we don't get around the right people, and we go back within a matter of minutes or a matter of hours or a matter of days or a matter of weeks, right back to the very thing we thought we brokered a deal with God that we would never do again. We would never fall for again. We'd never go back to it. And immediately when we do that, immediately when that happens, we are left with this human thought process. Well, God ain't going to help me now. <laughs> well, I broke my deal with God. Like we signed a deal with the district attorney. Let me tell you something, my friend. God don't make plea bargains. Let me tell you, my friend, God ain't a once or twice God. The reason I've been harping this whole time about King Joram showing you that he's the third king and a wicked kingdom. He's the third king of an idolatrous kingdom. He's the third king living in the mountains of self-will. He's living in the mountains of self-desire. He's sleeping with prostitutes. He's worshiping the devil. He wants nothing to do with God. And Billy Graham's out there living in Dothan, in poverty. He don't want nothing to 
to do with them. And Billy Graham's out there trying to mind his own business. And in the middle of the night, God starts talking to Elijah and says, Elijah, I know he don't want nothing to do with you. I know he won't listen to your word, but go tell him, don't go down to such and such place. Ben-Hadad is coming down there. And then the king would get a little curious and go, look, and the man of God's word would be true. And you would think that would be enough to prick his heart, bring him to repentance and to go running down to Dothan. But he didn't relent. He didn't repent. He kept on. And Elijah would be down there minding his own business, obscurity and in poverty. And God would wake him up in the middle of the night and said, Ben-Hadad's coming down this way tomorrow. Go tell the king. And if you don't get what I'm preaching tonight, what I'm trying to tell you is God ain't no once or twice God. God's love for you don't depend on your obedience. It don't depend on your righteousness. It don't depend on if you get it right or not. It don't depend on if you've been holy or not. It don't depend on if you thought you brokered a deal with him. He is not a once or twice God. Even when you're lost in sin. Even when you're on your way to hell in a handbasket. Even when you got the bills unpaid and the roof caving in. Even when you're sleeping with your baby's daddy. He's still going to be crying out to you. He's still going to be sending the man of God to you. He's still going to be tugging at your heart, trying to bring you back to repentance. You know why? Because he ain't no once or twice God. Now you see why I harped on that? Now you see why I'm telling you how far the nation was backslidden. This nation didn't want anything to do with Jehovah. They were killing Jehovah's prophets. They had given up on the almighty God of heaven. And God wouldn't give up on them. God wouldn't relent in his love for them. God kept sending the word. Sending the man of God. Sending the prophetic warnings. The truth is, God was trying to use the man of God to get a hold to the nation. To turn the whole nation back. He's not. A once or twice God. I don't know what deal you think you made with him. I don't know what you thought you did that all of a sudden crossed some line that he was done with you. But I'm here to tell you, I don't think any of us in here tonight are worshiping Beelzebub. I don't think any of us in here have killed any pastors lately. I don't think any of us in here have done half of the atrocious, wicked acts that his father had done or he had done. And God was still beckoning for him. God was still calling for him. God was still loving on him, trying to bring him back. And I don't care how far away from God you are tonight in this room. I hope what you hear is not a crazy southern transferred Minnesota Assembly of God preacher yelling, I hope you hear the voice of God saying that he loves you, that he's calling you back, that he wants you, that he will protect you, that he will deliver you, that he will save you, because he is not a once or twice God. He'll do it again and again and again. Say it. He ain't no once or twice God. Say it. He ain't no once or twice God. He ain't no once or twice God. Number two. Number two, I saw Pastor Tony's eyes getting big. I said, Lord, is Jesus standing behind me or what? And then I saw the water bottle about to take a front flip. I almost, you know what I almost did? Had to catch myself. I almost just grabbed it and squirted it, just shot it. And then I had to remember, then I had to remember we wasn't 14 at a lock-in. I'd have been hollering, he ain't no once or twice God. You'd have been saying, I wish you'd only do that once, maybe twice. <laughs> Number two, you know, when I read this story, when I misread this story through Western eyes, you know what I see every time I see it? 
I see a man so connected with God. I see a man. Oh, I could preach that. I, I see a man. He's living right. He's walking right. He's talking right. He's in church. He's paying the tithes. He's being faithful to his wife. He's raising his children. And because he's so faithful, because he's so connected, because he prays and he fasts so much, God is talking to him and God is working with him. And I know that's true. I'm not downplaying church attendance. I'm not downplaying reading your Bible. And I'm not downplaying coming and serving. I'm not downplaying fasting and, and getting in God's presence. I'm not downplaying any of that. But what I am telling you is when I read this, I don't see a man, by quote, uh, uh, so connected to God. What I see is an almighty God in heaven longing because he so desires to be connected to humanity. When there was nobody else faithful in the nation that would speak for God. No other vessels, Jim McCool, of honored, prepared, that would live in the place of two wells, Dothan, where the laws and the customs were sustaining him. He was drawing up resources from those two wells while the rest of the nation was backslidden and worshiping the devil and reveling and doing all of this occultist, satanic stuff. This prophet is staying alive spiritually in this little tent, probably with no running water, probably with no, no substance. He's in there and he's staying in the book. He's staying connected to God. And I know God was honoring that, talking to him. But what more importantly is happening is God is setting up in heaven, the God who sits high and looks low, and he's looking down at his children, the ten tribes of Israel that now are several years into a backslidden state. And he's looking to and fro in the nation saying where can I find a servant? Where can I find a vessel? Where can I find somebody that will go for me? Where can I find somebody that will speak for me? It's not about you Elijah. Thank you Elijah for being prepared for me to use. But Elijah what I'm really trying to do is use you to get to Joram because if Joram gets a save and gets on fire and gets the word of God in him, he can turn the nation back because what God really wanted was the whole nation of Israel to come back. He wanted the whole nation to wake up and return to him. But here's what we do. We think God sits in heaven and does this. Duck. 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 Goose. 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 Duck. 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 It creates this misnomer in our minds. That God has got the specials or the favorites or the predestines or the preordained, the ones that he'll really use, the ones that'll, that'll really do something for him. But I got news for you, my friend. This wasn't about some man uh, being so connected to God. This wasn't about some guy with such great spiritual fervor. This was about God trying to use one little simple man to get to a nation because the truth of the matter is what we really see is the heart of God saying, goose, 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 goose. He's saying, Elijah, you're a good find, buddy, but it ain't all about you, Elijah. It's about the hooker that walks in here on Sunday morning. It's about the drug addict that walks in here on Wednesday night. It's about the 13-year-old that's already looking at pornography. It's about the 15-year-old that's already sleeping around. It's about the one that society said is the outcast and will never amount to nothing. He just needs a vessel to flow in and out of to reach them. What it's really about is the heart of God that's longing to be connected to man, not a man. Not a man. 
This is the platform. I'm getting older. I'm 40 now. Every time I go somewhere, somebody says, you're losing hair. You ain't, you ain't as good looking as you used to be. I mean, you know, you're cool with it. Keep you humble. Right? But I got news for you. This platform don't exist for me. This platform don't exist for receding hairlines or hairs full of heads full of hair. This platform don't exist for any personality that ever has the privilege of stepping up here. This platform exists so the word of God can be preached, so the presence of God can be felt, so that the sinners walking in these doors, black people, white people, rich people, poor people, broken people, people, when they walk into this door, so God's river of eternal living water can flow in and begin to flow out, flow in and flow out, because God is longing to touch you. God is longing to hold you. God is longing to save you. God is longing to restore you. What I'm trying to do tonight is work on that. That mindset where we think God has an MVP lineup, where we think God has his all-stars of the north and his MVPs of the south, and these are the 16 favorites that God has bound himself to always work through. No, my friend, the only reason God is working in them and through them is to get to your son, to get to your daughter, to get to your mama, to get to your neighbor, and the truth is we need to reshape our mind that God loves us, God wants us, God wants to be close to us us. He wants to heal us. He wants to deliver us. And he wants to bless us. Somebody say that. God loves me. You are his favorite. I was playing golf with a guy one day and he said he hit a bad ball. He said, I'm his favorite. He hit a bad ball and he looked at me and said, I'm still his favorite. And you know what? Even though it was funny in the moment and it was abrasive at the very beginning, he said, I'm his favorite. And immediately I thought, that ain't his favorite ball. I'm his favorite. No, I didn't say that. You know, how would you feel you playing golf with some guy that you can beat? Actually, one of the people I play with that I can beat. And he says, I'm his favorite. And I'm like, I ain't his favorite. I'm his favorite. <laughs> Sorry. And he got up there and he hit a ball and it went like right over there. And I went, so much for being his favorite. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, I'm still his favorite. And I kind of chuckled. And you know, the more I chewed on that, the more I chewed on that. And then I realized God's love ain't like your love as a baby. It's close. But you ready for this? You are his favorite. And you are his favorite. And you are his favorite. And you are his favorite. What I see when I read this scripture is not one man so special that he's in God's hip pocket. What I see is God can only find one man to flow through to try to get the whole nation back in his hip. God was longing to get them all back. Not make a celebrity out of having one back. Number three. You said, I'm, I'm in the message. Don't call me up here right now. I'm going to need some of this in a minute. Somebody re-preach this preacher. That's, go ahead. It's all his anyway. We all been ripping him off since day one. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. God, tonight I pray we have an eye-opening experience. Watch this. So, Elisha keeps sending the word up to the king, the backslidden king, the rebellious king, not just 
not just the rebellious, backslidden king, not just April, not just once or twice, when man would say, I'm done. This is it. Like Obama said, to Syria. There's a red line, Syria, when he was in office. And if you cross that red line, if you use that gas on your people, that's what he said, and that was the Syrian, that was the nation of Syria. It's the same Syria. If you cross that red line and you gas those people, we're coming after you. Same nation. Man would say, that's the red line. If you do that, I'm done. That's not true of God. Now, preacher, what are you telling me? Go out there and live like war? No, you can live like war if you want to. End up with AIDS, hepacerphalitis, gonorrhea, in jail, tattoos you wish you didn't have, married to somebody with your last name you wish you didn't give it to, babies, mamas in six different states, broke, busted, disgusted. You can go out there and live like that if you want to. The wages of sin has been paying the very same from the very beginning. There has never been a minimum wage increase since the world began. Sin started paying death, and it still pays death. You can get out there and do whatever you want. I'm not endorsing sin, but if you get out there and live in sin, it's going to pay death. There's going to be death to some health, death to some finances, death to some relationships. But if you're struggling and you're trying but you're failing and you seem like you're going further backwards than you are forwards, listen to me, my friend. God didn't make no deal with you. He's not a once or twice God. He'll keep getting after you. He'll keep reaching for you. He'll keep God open our eyes. Give us an eye-opening experience of this. Watch this. God, give us an eye-opening experience that 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 you don't have these favorites, these celebrity Christians, rock star preachers and worship leaders that that you just use that God, what the real do is, is you're not just so connected to them. You really are longing to be connected to me, all of us, because I am your favorite. God, open our eyes. Watch this. Come, Elijah, come. Number three, open our eyes. You want me to show you what I really want God to open your eyes to tonight? Say the best one for last. Elijah's living out here in this little hut. The king of Syria says, where is he at? And they say, he's in Dothan. They say, go get him. And they send what down there? Horses and chariots. How many of you really study the Bible? I'm going to give you something. And I didn't get this from a man. No man. I didn't get this. Not that that matters. I'm telling you, I'm about to give you something. It's taken me 15 years to come up with to get from God. What showed up around that house? Has anybody ever heard that theme mentioned in these two specific books, 1 Kings and 2 Kings? Anybody ever heard this phrase, horses and chariots? Okay. You know this. Number one, Elisha is the spiritual mentee, the spiritual son of who? Elijah. And when Elijah, who was fighting... Ahab and Jezebel killed the 450 false prophets of Baal, the Baal gods, Beelzebub, the devil, on Mount Carmel, and he outran them, and he was supplied food and water by ravens, and then he wanted to die. God said, I got to get him out of here. This preacher's suicidal. Elisha, you may have missed this actually had a prophetic school of ministry in the Old Testament. There was a school of ministry. Remember the floating access? That was the school of ministry. That was the school of the prophets. Do you want to know who the head of the school of the prophets was? 
the chief prophet of the nation of Israel. His name's Elijah. And when Elisha was getting ready to be taken up into heaven, because the students were connected to Jehovah as well, the students knew that God, Jehovah, was getting ready to take Elijah. And the students said to Elisha, do you not know? God is getting ready to take Elijah, your master, away from you into heaven. It's proof that schools and ministries work. That spiritual fathers can mentee and train spiritual sons. They were already hearing from the Lord. God doesn't do anything in the earth unless he tells it to his prophets first. They were already hearing from God. And Elisha rebukes his pupils, or Elisha rebukes his peers and says, yes, I know, hush up. And Elisha says to Elisha, stay over here on this side, I've got to go. And he said, no, 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 I don't, I don't think you understand. You, you go, I go. And he says, no, listen, just put a little distance between us. And he said, I'm telling you, Elijah, I'm going where you're going. And he says, listen to me, you got to get away from me. Something's about to occur. He says, yeah, but I'm here for a double portion. I'm not letting you go. I want the double portion. Remember that? So watch this. And what does Elijah reply? What's he tell him? If you see me when I'm taken, what? You'll receive me. And all of a sudden, here's what we do for all these years of our life. Thank you, sweet Holy Spirit. When Elijah starts going up and the mantle falls, we think the authority was in the mantle when he picks up the mantle because he walks back over to the, the little brook. The last miracle of Elijah was to part the brook and he walked over on dry ground. The first miracle of Elisha was to pick up where his father left off. And, Lord, he parted the same brook with the same mantle. Elisha did seven miracles, and Elisha did 14. He did indeed receive a double portion. The scriptures are that accurate. But can I tell you why he knew he had the power? Because he saw the horses and the chariots of Israel. God gave him an eye-opening experience it wasn't about the mantle the mantle could have failed and he would have never seen the vision he would have never believed he had the authority to strike the brook but when he saw the horses and the chariots of Israel he knew he saw and that the anointing was on him he picked that mantle up and he walked right back over to that brook boom and the rivers parted he knew he had it second time the horses and the chariots are mentioned in the book of Kings you ready for it it may look like. He walks out that front door. Now, he was a servant and he was a boy. How many of you know? <laughs> I got a road dog, travels with me to preach everywhere. His name's Chris Bates. He's a boy. Showing my wife again. This is my wife. I don't need to be riding up and down the highway with a girl. Oh, she's helping me in the ministry. No, no, no. He's helping me in the ministry. <laughs> and I ain't attracted to him. <laughs> he ain't built right. Elisha's living in that house with his replacement for Gehazia because Gehazia took off running with Naaman the Syrian and he tried to manipulate for the robes and the clothes. And when he came back, Naaman's leprosy clung to him. And now Elisha's got a new servant. You say, oh, that's in that book. Yep. And I like to read it. Watch this. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this servant, who's a boy, you say, why are you harping on this? You're going to know in a minute. That boy wakes up one morning. 
indoor plumbing, first thing every man in the world's got to do when he wakes up in the morning is use the bathroom. He stepped right out the front door and he said, it may look like <laughs> he went back up in that house. He said, oh, Elisha, we got a little problem. They, 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 they out there. They be a lot of them, too. They sent the whole SWAT team. You know when they come get you, they don't send one policeman. They don't just send one. They send everybody. You might have a misdemeanor. And they can, They send the, 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 the ramming thing. They come get you like they coming to get bin Laden. <laughs> he said, what was out there? And he said, He said, no, 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 son. It may look like I'm surrounded. He said, but God, give him an eye-opening experience. Second time, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. The horses and the chariots of Israel are mentioned. Go back and read it in this text. And it tells you they were surrounding Elisha. It doesn't say they were surrounding the city. It doesn't say they were surrounding the house. Doesn't say they were surrounding the Bible in the house. Says they were surrounding the man of God, Elisha, and he said, "God, give him an eye-opening experience." And when that service stepped back out there, he said he sung it a little louder. He went to walking like George Jefferson then. <laughs> God gave him an eye-opening experience. with Elijah. Yes, I am. <laughs> he said he opened his eyes and he says there were horses and chariots all around the mountains surrounding Elijah and they were horses and chariots of fire. Second time they're ever mentioned in the book of the two kings. Elisha knew that he was dwelling in Dothan and he didn't need a four-camera system. He was dwelling in Dothan, and he knew he didn't need a military army. He said, I know I'm staying down here in the midst of this spiritual drought, and God's sending me a word trying to save the king, trying to save the nation, and I've got the horses and the chariots of Israel surrounding me. He said, oh, God, give him an eye-opening experience. And when that boy walked out there, and he saw all those horses and chariots of fire, I can just hear him singing. He said, and he said, I told you, they that are for us are greater than they that are against us. Sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said when he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You want to know who Jesus was talking about? Let me show you something. Oh, I'm really finna work with it. I ain't gave you the best. You know who Jesus was talking about? When he said, he that is in this world, who was he talking about? Oh, Slewfoot. Who was he talking about? The great serpent of old, the dragon, the devil, the boogeyman. 
Let me work with it. But Jesus said, hey, boys, don't be excited that the demons listen to you. Don't be excited that your names, that when you speak my name, demons flee bodies. Don't be excited about all that. He said, because, boys, I was there that day on the holy mountain of God. When Satan tried to climb the mountain of the ascent to exalt his throne above almighty God, he said, I was there that day when he fell from heaven like lightning. What Jesus was telling his disciples is he's a defeated foe. What Jesus was telling his disciples is, yeah, when he fell in that rebellion and he came down to be the God of this world, and yeah, when he brought one-third of the angelic host of heaven with him, what Jesus was telling them is, hey, boys, he left two-thirds of heaven's armies intact. Greater is he that is with you than he that's against you. Greater is he that's for you than they that are opposing you. What Jesus was telling you, what he lied was telling you is what this preacher trying to tell you tonight oh God give them an eye opening experience I don't know what army has gathered around your home maybe it's a financial army I don't know what armies have gotten around your marriage maybe it's lust maybe it's adultery I don't know what armies have gotten around your church maybe it's division maybe it's dissension maybe it's a lack of the spirit of God I don't know what armies have gotten around your city I don't know what armies have gotten around your children, but oh God, give them an eye-opening experience. Oh, it may look like, it may look like, but greater is he that is for me than they that are against me. Greater is he that's in me. Oh God, give them an eye-opening experience. Come on, sing it. Check this out. He walks up there. He says, hey, man, who y'all looking for ain't here? You can't. Could you imagine walking out telling the SWAT team that? Y'all done come to the wrong house. Y'all done kicked my door in, broke my lock. And we, he don't even live here. I'm going to need y'all to fix this immediately. Scared my children half to death. I can't help it. He says, hey, God. Since you were opening his eyes, think you could close their eyes? He reached up there, grabbed the horses by the bridle. And check this out. God opened their eyes. He's not a once or twice God. And he walks them all the way up to Ephraim's mountains, to Samaria. And he says, hey, Joe Ram, this guy's looking for you. This army's looking for you. Joe Ram, they're blind right now. Joe Ram. God did this. Jehovah God. You know the God you won't listen to? The God that you won't yield to? Hey, Joram, God did this for you because he is not a. Still trying to open Joram's eyes. He says, hey, God, think you can open their eyes now? About to give you the best part. Eyes come open. They said. They said, oh, Lord, we came to do some surrounding, and now we surrounded. <laughs> Here we are in the mountains of Ephraim with all of Israel's horses and chariots. 
And he said, get them some food, get them some water. They fed them. Last verse, and I got to go. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more and raided in the land of Israel. So the band of the Syrian raiders came no more. Does anybody feel like you got some raiders in your life, some people still in your joy? The enemy still in your peace, still in your ambition, your dream, your hope, your family, your future. Oh, God, give them an eye-opening experience. Hit it for me. Watch this. Watch this. Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. Oh, yeah, he's the prince of the powers of this world, the God of this world. But, hey, boys. He's a liar. He's a manipulator. He's a murderer. He rules through the power of deception. He has you thinking you're hopeless. He makes you think you're weak. He makes you think you're less than. He makes you think you're over with. He makes you think you're good for nothing. He makes you think you'll always be a nobody. He makes you think that God don't love you and that he's intending for you to be broke. He makes you think you always got to be hooked on dope. But, oh, God, I pray tonight you give him an eye-opening experience because his power comes to an end in our lives when our eyes get open and we realize he's a defeated foe. He's a manipulating liar. He can't keep me stuck in prosperity and in hopelessness anymore. He can't keep me stuck in hopelessness and helplessness and bondage and being sick and twisted and destitute and afraid. He can't keep me in poverty anymore because my eyes have been opened that God is not a once or twice God, that God loves me, that God is longing for me, that God is in me and for me. And going to bless me. My eyes have been open. Check it out. Are you surrounded tonight? Are you surrounded tonight? Oh, God, here's my prayer. Give them an eye-opening experience. Open our eyes, God, and let us see that the mountains are full of your angels, that, that the mountains are full of your chariots of fire. Give us, give us an eye-opening experience, God, that, that greater is your power in me than that manipulative, lying devil in this world that thinks I'm going to stay under his curse, that believes I'm going to stay under his spell. I'm not going to stay hopeless. I'm not going to stay broken. I'm not going to stay bound because now my eyes have been opened. And now I know it may look like I've been surrounded, but I know I'm surrounded by Almighty God. He's not only around me, he's not only with me, but he's in me. It may look like.
You're surrounded by him. His angels are here. Say that. I'm his favorite. Did you know you're surrounded tonight? Did you know you're surrounded? You're surrounded by the armies of heaven. You're surrounded by the chariots of fire. You're surrounded by God's love. You're surrounded by God's favor. Surrounded by God's blessings. Surrounded by God's miracle working power. Somebody brave, struggling with addiction, still in the clutches, is in the throes of addiction. Tonight's your night of freedom and deliverance and breakthrough. Step out of your chair right now. Somebody still struggling with addiction, get out right now. Come right here. 